All right, picking up with part two, Isaiah 9, 6 names. There are names that were given to the prophet Isaiah when referring to the birth of Jesus, the Christ child and son of God. He was given this information to record and remind Israel of the coming of their Messiah to establish his kingdom. It was written about 800 years before Christ, during a time when the Assyrians were running rampant, plundering and taking captives. Isaiah's message was one of hope during great turmoil. Isn't that like a lot of passages sometimes we see? There's a lot of stuff going on. Sometimes we need God's reassurance. He brings that through, he brought that through his prophets to give information both to either warn the people or to encourage them. These things that were described by Isaiah must have been mysterious and yet amazing to reveal, even if he did not have complete understanding. Remember, Isaiah is just a deliver of a message. Could he have known what he was actually revealing? Hard to say. We really don't know. But yet he gave a message that was given to him. Remember, Isaiah, they had to be amazing to reveal even if he didn't have complete understanding. Remember, he was exposed to the glorious image of God, of the Lord, seated on a throne in the heavenly temple in Isaiah 6-2. And now he was given information to share about the coming of Jesus. For to us a child is born, that's Isaiah 9-6, Isaiah 9-6, and it's the ESV version. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now look at these names. These are indeed wonderful names that reflect the character of Jesus Christ. Note that while a mother and father may assign a name to a child, it doesn't mean that that child will live in such a way to honor their given name. Some children will be well served to not live according to their assigned name. Amen. Amen. I, I, you know, how, who knows what Flip Wilson's real name was? Clero. C L E R O W. That was his real first name. Real first name. And uh, there was a kid that was coming up, and, and I guess we used to shouldn't have made fun of him or anything. I didn't know him personally. But his name was Cloyd, C-L-O-Y-D. It's like, you got to live with that name. And, and there are worse names than that that are out there, too. But you have to live with that name. That's the name that you're given. Well, thankfully, in contrast, God gives names in Scripture and even changes them to reflect the character of the persons involved. Can you think of some examples? Well, I can give you some, and you may have referred to some here, too. First of all, Adam... Uh, from the Hebrew noun ha-adama means the ground or the earth. Where did Adam come from? The ground. That's where he came from. The earth. Adam named his wife Eve, which represents her role as the mother of all living. I'll go slow. I promise. That's in Genesis 3.20. Who gave Eve's name, Eve her name, Adam did Adam did Abram 
became Abraham. God did that, changed his name, and named him that because he would be the father of many nations, which is what he was told over and over in Scripture. Genesis 17.5. Here's one that most of us will know and remember. Nabal, who was spared a fateful encounter with David and his truce because of Abigail, his wife's intervention, is Hebrew for fool. 1 Samuel 25.25. How about living up to a name like that? He did. He was a fool. And, you know, when you... It's, it, we really shouldn't call people fools and make a, a point to do so, but Scripture points out what a fool looks like and looks like and does for basically our protection. You don't be like that. I always said something that I learned a long time ago. You can even learn from a fool to not be like them. You can always learn something. Jacob was renamed Israel. Genesis 32:28. God chose that name for him. That was his name. That was his proper name, Israel. And of course, we know where Israel comes from. It comes through that lineage. The name of Jesus was already predetermined by the Joseph's dream and his encounter with the angel of the Lord. Uh, the reference to that is Matthew 1, verses 18 through 24, which I will read. And I love how Matthew sets it up. Matthew just tells you. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Who was that prophet? Isaiah. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Have you noticed how God speaks directly to Joseph through dreams? This is not the only time that he was spoken to in a dream. Get up, take that child, and go and get out. And that's interesting that we see that communication taking place. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Once again, Isaiah. Isaiah was blessed. He had information to pass on as a prophet that was 800 years in advance about who Jesus really was. 
And I'm pretty sure, I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb, I don't think that Isaiah had a complete understanding of what he was given. Because it's so wonderful and amazing and marvelous to think about. You have to understand, you have to take all that to account. But yet he passed it on. So let's take a look, a closer look at these Isaiah 9, 6 names. No. Yes. Before you go away, Israel, the meaning of that is triumphant with God. Triumphant with God. Oh, the meaning of Israel is triumphant with God. Mrs. Gaines passed that on. Thank you. And that's a, that's a great understanding of what Israel stands for. I'll bet you a lot of people in Israel don't even know that. They don't know the meaning of that. And I say that because there's a lot of people in Israel who don't follow the Lord the way that... That was the example they were supposed to be to everyone else. Right. Triumphant with God. Yeah. Exactly. Don't think for a moment that Israel's sovereignty is not an important issue. It's very important. No matter what anybody tells you, it's very, very important. It has biblical meaning. Okay. All right. Wonderful counselor. Many times these words are separated as standalone names, wonderful and counselor. And that's true if you refer to the King James Version of the Bible. But if you look at the more of the modern versions of Scripture, such as the NIV, the ESV, the CSB, they each use the phrase wonderful counselor. Okay. Well, both uses are correct. First, wonderful is a descriptive of the wonder and amazement of Jesus. Isaiah refers to the Messiah as the wonderful counselor, to speak of the character of the coming king. So in this passage, the word wonderful means incomprehensible and full of wonder. We talked about the word wonderful yesterday very briefly, didn't touch on it a whole lot. But when you call something wonderful... Usually it has a connotation behind it. Amazing, fantastic, unbelievable. You see where that adjective goes when you say wonderful? Okay. Now, full of wonder implies a far greater meaning than any way we use the word here in day-to-day conversations. The wonderfulness of Jesus is mind-boggling. Um, look at Judges thirteen eighteen. When Manoah, Samson's father, asked the Lord in his encounter with an angel of the Lord what his name was. And the angel of the Lord answered, Why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? That's what you read in Judges 13, 18. You can also find this response in other passages of different Bible versions. Why do you ask my name, since it is beyond your understanding, is another way that it's also read in different passages, beyond your understanding. Well, if something is beyond your understanding, it truly is something of wonder. It's something you're trying to figure out. Look at the different ways that Jesus referred, reflected his name as wonderful, and there are dozens of passages. I'm just going to let you write these down because I covering them all right now would be a lot. Um... I will take a look at, um, when we get to the next section here, uh, but write these down. Matthew, uh, pardon me, Judges 13, 18, Matthew 1, 23, 
Matthew 4.23, Mark 1.22, and then again Mark 16.6, Luke 6.27, and Matthew 5.4, then verses 11 and 12, and then verse... 48. I'm going to hold it. I'm not moving it. I'm not moving that slide. I promise you. An example, he presented instruction, first of all. We'll look at Luke 6.27 just as an example. That defied human understanding but yet it reflects the life of a true servant in Christ. When he reads in, when you read in Luke 6, 27, it says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Now for those of us who grew up in a rough and tumble area. We were not taught or trained to turn our cheek while somebody else belts us. Amen? No, we weren't. You're taught to defend yourself. So for Jesus to say these words to us, give us a different way of approaching life. An, a Christ-like way of approaching life. Now, the natural instinct is if somebody is going to come up on my wife, I'm going to whip that person's tail. That's my wife. I protect my wife. Now, she, now, she can take care of herself. I'll tell you that right now. I know that. But there, there are things we have to be very careful and cautious about here. We are taught to take care of our spouses, take care of our wives. Right, men? Amen. Amen. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Okay. Hey, Cindy. Um, but understand now, but he's teaching us something now to look at this a little bit deep, more deeply. When we're talking about loving our enemies, we're talking about loving people who do truly hate or do not like us. And we understand that this is a different way of thinking. This is a different way of looking at things. Because ultimately, what are we responsible for doing? Loving brothers and sisters for the sake of Jesus Christ. Okay? And this is just contrary to what we've been taught. If you look at Luke 6.27, it's not something that we, we talk about all the time. As a counselor, Isaiah was referring to Jesus as the coming king in the days of ancient Israel a counselor was associated with a wise king such as Solomon if you refer to 1 Kings 4.34 Isaiah 28.29 the ESV version of that says this also from the Lord of hosts he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom wonderful in counsel excellent in wisdom when you go to somebody for advice, you want to help go to somebody who's got good information. Amen? Amen? Amen. 
God is the one you go to. He has it. He gives it to you through the Holy Spirit. And you'll note the other verses there. Please jot those down too. John 2.25, Psalm 139, 1 through 4, and Hebrews 4.15 and 16. An earthly counselor should be gathering information about you to know what to address within their counsel. A good counselor, in other words, when they're having a conversation with you, they try to find out who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. They get to know who you are, what's going on in your life, what's happening right now. In order, in other words, they can't give you good advice if you don't share something about who you are. Right. Okay. So Jesus doesn't have to do any of this, though, because he already knows all about you and your nature. And very importantly, he knows your struggles. He knows and can give you the appropriate guidance at the right time. That's important for us to understand. So we don't need to necessarily tell God about who we are. He kind of knows already. You might be hurting so much that you really can't describe how you are, but he already knows who you are when you're seeking him, when you're having conversation with him. Psalm 139, 1 through 4. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Amen to that. Amen. He knows all about you. Now you're, you're free to sit and talk to him all about who you are and let him know who you are, but he already knows your heart. That's why we had the conversation very early on about making sure that you don't bring any pretentiousness or contention to God in prayer. You might want to express it, but say, Lord, forgive me. You know my heart. You know what needs to be dealt with. That's why I'm coming to you right now. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the thing we need to understand. Jesus knows who you are because he was tempted just like you're tempted. Fully human as well as fully God. Human with flesh. You know what? Jesus Christ went to the bathroom just like we do. You don't like to think of it that way. But he was human. He did the same things that we do. He understands us. He knows what's going on. So as our wonderful counselor, we can be confident that he listens to us and will move us in the proper direction. If we would only listen to him more. He listens to us in prayer and encourages us or consoles us as we meditate before him. Of all his attributes, we are reminded of his loving presence, and it is so wonderful it is beyond our understanding. Now, I deliberately waited to provide the Hebrew name for Wonderful Counselor, and that's because these attributes simply point back to Jesus being God himself, or Yahweh. Yahweh. Everybody say it. Yahweh. Okay. The name Yahweh represents a present, accessible, living God who responds to the calls of everyone who wants his deliverance, forgiveness, and guidance. Wonderful counselor. Set up Yahweh. 
Psalm 107.13. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Psalm 31.3. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. It's God's very nature to come alongside with you as you experience life with him. He is indeed wonderful. Next, we have the name of Mighty God. Mighty God. The Hebrew name, El Gibor. El Gibor. Everybody say that with me. El Gibor. Okay. Emphasis on the boar. All right. The L is the name representing might, strength, and prominence. That's what L is in Elohim. L means might, strength, and prominence. So we're talking about a mighty God. Amen? Amen. El Gibor. It's the name for Jesus that is specifically noted in Isaiah 9 6 as the Messiah, as a powerful and mighty warrior who will accomplish the destruction of God's enemies. And boy, that would be a welcome thing. Revelation 19.15 You have enemies today, amen? Amen. We have opposition. You know you have an enemy because Satan is in your midst. Amen? Amen. There is a thing that we should be looking forward to as believers, and that's going to be when... Jesus delivers justice and victory, complete victory over our enemies. We already have the victory because we have salvation through Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that more later too, by the way. Revelation 19.15 says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. When you think of power might and strength what comes to mind what comes to mind when you think of power might and strength control control okay that's valid yeah who else what else dominance okay just asking you to throw out some adjectives, whatever you, whatever comes to mind. Unbeatable. Unbeatable. Very good. Unbeatable. Okay. Powerful. Powerful. Okay. Indefallible. All right. Indefallible. Infallible. Okay. Thank you. Got to check my hearing. Any others? Not equal to. Not equal to. Okay. When I think of power, might, and strength, I'm going to go a little bit different path in some of the descriptions. I think of storms. I think of storms. Right? You're talking about a, the things that you described are all correct, but sometimes you know visual about power, might, and strength. And storms are always powerful, no matter how small 
or how large there's an implied power in the midst of what's taking place. Thunder, lightning, rain, wind, all those, and, and possible destruction depending upon the severity of those storms. Some of the most amazing weather events. If you just go and look that stuff up, you would see some things that denote absolute power. Because there's nothing that can stop a storm. There's nothing that can stop a hurricane. There's nothing that can stop a tornado. These are all demonstrations of power and strength. So when I think of power, might, and strength, I think of those things personally. And it's a demonstration, frankly, of God doing what he does. And we don't understand the aftermath of those storms. So we don't understand what's happening. But we do know that sometimes in that, the midst of that, we see God's hand also in the aftermath when people go and help people who are in need. So, once again, God's sovereignty comes into play. You also have to have respect for that power. You sure do. And if you don't respect it, it will figure you out. You have to have respect for that power. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It will figure you out. One way or the other, you're right. Okay. Third name, Everlasting Father. The Hebrew name for this is El Olam. El Olam. Say that with me. El Olam. Which stands for Everlasting God. Everlasting Father, there is El Olam, Everlasting God. He is without a beginning or end according to time as we understand it. El Olam, Everlasting God. Psalm 90 Verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Amen. From eternity to eternity. And that's an interesting statement. From eternity to eternity. Well, there's Eternity is really one thing. It's actually giving emphasis. It's just ongoing. Everlasting Father, Everlasting God. As I've been saying now recently, the uncreated creator lives forever, has lived forever. We don't know of a beginning. Now, he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, but that's not for, our, that's not for his benefit. That's for our benefit. That's for our understanding, because we have to have a beginning and an end to understand really what's going on. Is that accurate? That, that's for us. That's for our benefit. Yes? No, no. That, that to me all should give you security. Amen. And it gives you a whole security. He's always there. Yeah. He, he's, he's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to be uh, away from you. He's always there. Amen. It's a security. Now, as Elaine mentioned something like that, I was I meant to mention it earlier and I forgot to do so. Put a star or something 
in front of any of these names that you think really do connect with you personally and go back and look at those. When we take a break, you can go back and look at the ones we did before and see if there are any other ones that you really just connect with. Because I don't expect you to connect with all of them. All of them will make a statement, but some of them may have an actual connection with you and your personality. Now, the fact that Elaine spoke up, I'm going to trust that that name, Everlasting Father, Everlasting God, has a connection with her. Okay? Here's another passage, Genesis 21, Now I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible Version. The Holman Version actually uses the word Yahweh in its text. And I've kind of gone back to that text, even though they have revised the Holman Christian Standard Bible into what is now called the Christian Standard Bible, same company but they actually took some of those words Yahweh out of the text and just replaced them with Lord God or whatever, which is fine. That's a decision they made in their textual rendition of it. But the Holman Bible was out for uh, about a decade. Mm -hmm. And it really does have passages in it that really speak to these references of the name of God. In Genesis 21-33, Holman version says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba And there he called the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. He called on the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. Remember, Yahweh is God's proper name. Proper name. Any questions? Good? Prince of Peace. Isaiah describes the coming Jesus as Prince of Peace. Who can guess what the name is? The Prince of Peace. Anybody want to take a guess? Debbie said it. She just didn't say it out loud. Shalom. The Prince of Peace is Yahweh Shalom. And it's pronounced exactly that way. Yahweh Shalom. Everybody say that. Yahweh Shalom. Very good. Yahweh Shalom simply means the Lord, our peace. Gideon gave God this name for the altar that he built after the angel of the Lord promised him that he would not die after seeing his presence. Um, Gideon was really interesting. Gideon just kept talking with God, having a conversation. If I do this, what will happen here? Well, will you do this? Will you do that? He was having an ongoing discussion with him. And ultimately, when he recognized who he saw, he knew what that meant. It meant if you see God in his face, you will die. Well, Gideon said, oh, no. <laughs> he uh, basically, Lord assured him he would not die. The angel of the Lord assured him he would not die after seeing his presence. That's back in Judges 6, verses 22 through 24. If you want to jot down that verse... You can go back and look at that. In Judges 6, verses 22 through 24. 24 is also at the bottom of your handout. Oh, okay, very good. Oh, the, it's, oh you put that in there. Oh, very good. Judge, okay, well, very good. Thank you. <laughs> we do what we can here to help out. Okay. 
Jesus reminds us with his own words that his aim has always been to represent peace. Yeah, that's really important for us to see. We've talked about how powerful God is and how God will you know, take care of his, our enemies in Revelation, the sword's coming out of his mouth and he's going to do this and all the enemies are going to be destroyed. But we also understand that he is a God of peace. Do you see that? Do you understand that? Jesus reminds us with, with his own words that his aim has always been to represent peace. In John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. Well, if he's a God of peace, that's what he's giving you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Where do you experience peace? You experience peace when you call the name of Jesus Christ, especially in the world that we live in today. That's the only place you're going to see peace. Or peace is given as a representation. You seek the name of the Lord. You seek the name of Jesus. He's the one who comforts. He's the one who consoles. He's the one who gives you refuge. He's the one that gives protection. We talk about this strength, this strong tower to run into. That's who Jesus is. Because every now and then we need to run into a strong tower, don't we? Mm -hmm. We need protection. We need comforting. We need a shelter. We need a covering. Because our enemy does not want to see us do well. How hard it is, how hard is it to live in peace in a troubled world? The word shalom is used to reflect calm and tranquility for a person, groups, or nations. That's what shalom represents. Calm and tranquility. Calm and tranquility. What's a big wellness thing today? Deep breathing. Yoga. Relieving stress. That's a huge thing today. It's a real thing today. It's something that a lot of the newer generation people are recognizing in order to get the stress out of your daily life. you got to do deep breathing. Guess what you have on the Apple Watch now? A breathing a deep breathing app to help you to take deep breaths, which will relax you and which will calm you down. And every now and then when I'm driving on I-480, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, you need to do some deep breathing <laughs> and relieve some stress. But that's what we need to understand about that word shalom, calm and tranquility. That's what is supposed to be given. Understand something, Israel is under attack all the time. So we're looking at them being the example, like like Lynn said, for the way to live where they remain peaceful and tranquil, they'll respond to an attack, but ultimately that they're the ones who are not the provokers. Calm and tranquility. The peace that we desire to experience is more than just living a tranquil existence. Jesus wants us to be restored to himself and experience the peace within a relationship with him. Romans 5, verse 1, and then I'll also read verse 8. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
peace. Because we've been made righteous by faith. Non-believers have anything but peace. Amen? Amen. Non-believers do not live in peace. It's a false peace. They might think they're peaceful, but there's still a turmoil. There's always a desire to fill something with something. But you, because you believe in Jesus Christ, you have peace. Holy Spirit fills you. Verse 8, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were undeserving, while we don't deserve anything, while we deserve to be punished, Christ died for us anyway. Praise the Lord. It's the reason why we're here. Amen? A prince, by definition, is a son of a king who is in line to inherit the kingdom as a future king. As the prince of peace, Jesus' sacrifice for us brings peace with God. And we have another verse. uh, John 10, verses 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. You read that passage, you take that pause, never perish ever. What emphasis? And there's an exclamation point after the word ever. No one will snatch that out of my hand. That reassurance that we have that Jesus Christ indeed is the Prince of Peace. That's the end of part two. Any questions? One comment. One comment. Romans verse eight, especially when you think of the times, you don't. People have to do things good for you before you're willing to do something for them usually. That's right. And yet we weren't doing anything for God and he was willing to do the ultimate sacrifice for us. Amen. We weren't doing anything. You're right. We we weren't doing anything. We were even messing up the blood sacrifice. We weren't doing anything right. We were We were doing it out of order. We weren't doing it according to what God had written. You know, Aaron's sons paid for it with their lives. Because they were a couple of goofs. And yet they were in the priest they were they were they were assigned as priests. They were following the bloodline of Aaron as priests. So yeah, there we weren't doing anything to really say, you know, Lord, we really want this. That's a good point. That gives you even more pause as to the the Lord your God that you serve how he has done all these things for us and we weren't deserving of any of it amen any other questions alright a quick five minute break we'll be right back